From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in odd, even Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are fan bases and game design balance. So, if everyone's ready, let's start. Are you doing? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you got it. There you go. Okay, nice. sorry. <laughs> Last minute adjustment to your headphone volume there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads right into our first meta topic about sound because VGM Con is happening right now, which uh-huh. is the video game music convention here in town. Yes, mm-hmm. it used to be Gamers Rhapsody, but they changed their name uh, a couple of years ago, I think, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and my brother is there showing off Hyperdot which I will always remember as anti-piracy, and he corrects me every time I say anti-piracy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, I've, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what, how that's going to go, because like, I, I have to go pick him up after this show. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll be something. So you'll hear all about it. Yes. <laughs> and then we can tell our listeners in the next episode right. how it went. How it all went down. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, VGM's kind of one of the local festivals we mm-hmm. have here. We have a couple now. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's it's cool because they hire they have a lot of uh, uh, famous video game music groups. Yeah, like people who, like uh, I know that OC Remix has a pretty strong following there, uh, at least a, a decent sized one. And then, uh, mm-hmm. but we'll link to their website. So yeah, you can, you can check it out for yourself. Maybe you'll check it out next year. Yeah, and it like it's it has a specialty, which is yeah. sort of makes it unique. Uh, that it's really about video game music and like that. You know, makes it a little nichier, but it also like is a real nice focus for the people who are into that. Yeah, we've talked about music on the show before, and like how I don't have a lot of like familiarity with like video game soundtracks, but like a lot of people grew up with that, like yeah. you did, Steven. Yeah, and so it's it's a cool thing that isn't really it's not there isn't something like it in many other places. Yeah, it's very true, and also um, there's something that new this year that I hope they continue to next year is that they have like jam sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, they I guess they've always had like jam rooms where people can come and you know just play whatever the heck they want with other people, but they have like uh, organized ones now where somebody will lead it and like get people to just you know jam together which is really neat that's amazing yeah uh so i'm i'm I, it sounds like this is a pretty solid uh part of the the con so hopefully it'll come back next year too mm-hmm. uh yeah i'll have to make sure to check it out this year we're just you know recording an episode <laughs> yeah, so we could make it <laughs> Uh, GDC is also coming up. Yes. So when this episode goes out, it'll be very, very shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going. I don't know yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get my act together. Are we gonna have you? Are we gonna record you from there again, like last time? Oh, that's a super good idea. We should do that. Yeah. Uh, the live meeting <laughs> happening now. <laughs> uh, no, that that was really fun last mm-hmm. year because, like, uh, I know coming back from the show and then remembering all that you did and saw is kind of difficult, but yeah. like. You know, Thursday night or whenever we did it last year was like it was all fresh. So, yeah, um, yeah maybe we'll do that again. Yeah, that'd be fun. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, there's going to be some news coming, I suppose. We could talk a little bit about that. Sure. And the one thing that keeps coming up because it's made its way into um, like mainstream press and tech press, not just gaming press, mm-hmm. is that Google's going to be there and they're going to have a keynote. They're going to uh. pre- uh, reveal some uh, streaming technology they've been working on. It's very similar to like what PlayStation Now does, where it's you know. There's a server farm of, of, of gaming PCs, and yeah. then you like play it through your browser. Uh-huh. Um, and they've been testing this. They tested it earlier, uh, late last year, 
uh, with uh, the latest Assassin's Creed game. If you beta tested their service, you just got to play that game, which was kind of a nice draw for, to get users. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know, they will probably announce something related to that. That's the thing. But there are rumors that there may be like hardware, like oh. additional things. Like, I mean, even for a company as big as Google, like that's kind of tricky. But yeah. like, I mean, remember when Microsoft wasn't a gaming company, it made yeah. no sense then either. So yeah. uh, Google comes to your home. It could happen. <laughs> I guess Google's already in your home. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. <laughs> well, Google's on your TV now. Uh-huh. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting that like, we have uh, a lot of times industries as they consolidate end up with two players, mm-hmm. right? Uh, gaming is unique that we have three in the console space. Yeah. And Nintendo is this weird outlier. Like they, like they have so much money saved up from so many years mm-hmm. that they can survive the Wii U years and the GameCube years and stuff like that. Yeah. Hey, um, hey, GameCube was cool. Didn't do well. Hey, I love the Wii U. Like <laughs> yeah, it has, some I know. Of, it has some of the best games ever made in history on that system. Agreed. Um, and, but um, I think it it's interesting that like these industries can generally not support more than two big players. Oh yeah. And so we're already a little bit past saturation in terms of like what the market naturally supports. So even Google would have a hard time, I think. Yeah. You know, um, uh, people have tried uh, to launch a di- a new consoles, you know, uh, every so often. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are from smaller companies who are biting off more than they can chew. But like, I don't think it's any hard or any easier for a bigger company to make that same attempt. So I don't, I don't take a lot of stock in these rumors because I think Google knows this. Yeah. And like, they're going to play to their strengths, which is like streaming and, 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 and cloud services. Yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of fun to like wish there was like another piece of hardware or something. I'd, um, I'd call it the Google Globe, and it'd be spherical. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> then we make it unique from all the other consoles. You guys, every time there's a new console like generation coming up, you yeah. see all the renders that people make of like this is what I think the Xbox 12 will look like or yeah, whatever, yeah. or the Xbox 720 or you know like uh-huh. stuff like that, and uh, they're all gross. <laughs> they're all <laughs> ugly. <laughs> so, I mean, sorry, but. <laughs> I, I just I, whenever I think of a, like a new console that like hasn't been released or whatever, I think of that episode of Drake and Josh where he had the game sphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have to link to that. It's really funny because he's just like it's spherical, <laughs> spherical. And yeah. It's the best. <laughs> uh, yes. I really just want new controllers. Ah. Like, I love controllers, and so I will, that's what I want. Yeah, yeah. I would. I would like a new controller too. Not that I have. I love all the existing controllers. I just yeah. want more of them. <laughs> like more they're fun. They're good. Hey, and more options are good too. Yeah. yeah, I would like more options because I'm not satisfied with the Xbox One controllers right now. Yeah, and everybody's moved on from 361. So, wait, you like the 361s better than the Xbox I One? I think I do. Same. I don't like the deep, the D pads are terrible, but like, yeah, I like the the way that the Xbox 360 controllers felt. Same. The Xbox One. Yeah. 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 I don't understand you too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I I, I I don't have a good explanation of it. Maybe yeah. I'm just used to it. Well, I mean, they were. It's the it's the reigning champ of PC controllers. Yeah, it was the first controller to be standardized on PC. So, like, it's what most people have known for most of their gaming lives. Like plurality of it, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, it's familiarity, perhaps. Yeah. That's also, it was good. I mean, yeah. it's just I don't think it's any in any way better than the, mm. the modern ones. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's like dramatically better. Sure. Just I don't know. I don't like the Xbox One ones as much for some reason. Yeah. I uh, I don't like the balance of the Xbox One ones or something. It's something about how it fits in your hands that sure. just is a little bit off. It's uh, like fine, but like Xbox 360 is better. So. <laughs> yeah, but it's probably just because it's the thing I use at home. So sure, yeah, sure, that's how I feel about it too. Although you can get really cool colors 
is an Xbox One. So yeah. I might get an Xbox One one just because I want Customized. a purple one. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a totally legit reason. Oh, yeah. Totally. Definitely. Uh, so maybe that will happen. Mm. Probably not. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'll report back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that isn't, I mean, I've been looking for lots of news that, you know, that hinting at GDC stuff, but it's yeah. been swallowed up by the, these Google rumors. So, like, there's ah. not much else that, like, people are anticipating, at least that I could find or okay. think of. So, um, you think there's going to be a, um, a bigger uh, uh, group of people looking for unionization like there was last year? I hope so. I think there's certainly been a lot more stories about that. Yeah. So, um, I think that there. Last year it was really it was an activism effort, and this year I think it's an, hopefully it'll be an organizing effort. Yeah, and there'll actually be some movement on it. Yeah, um, and because last year it really felt like this is great, but like in its current form, it, I can't see what comes of it. Right. But that's required for something later to come of it. So uh, hopefully we're getting as an industry we're getting past that. Hump. Yeah, uh, we'll yeah, see. I hope it happens soon because honestly, AAA development scares me a lot because of all of those things. Yeah, uh, you know, people getting overworked, like Rockstar and such, and mm-hmm. people losing their jobs because the companies want to make more money. I guess even though they've had their best year ever, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Right, right. Yeah. So, like, I, I hope that something comes of it. Yeah. In a yeah, in a previous episode, we talked about the impending Activision layoffs yeah. that have since happened, mm-hmm. and uh, they they didn't hit developers; they hit marketing people. But like at the same time, um, <laughs> they actually made so much money that it would just seemed like. A, a union, a union at that company would have protected a lot of those people. Right. And you know, the wizard isn't to say that companies can't like decide how many employees they want, but those employees would then have the protections of you know of of of, of like uh, uh, severance pays and things yeah. like that. things that that uh, you know I'm sure some of them you know did okay or whatever, but like mm-hmm. a lot of that is not just about keeping your job; it's about managing your you know the uh, the how companies treat employees at right. all stages of employment. Yeah, exactly. Um, at the very least, they would have known ahead of time. They like they would have gotten notification on it, and they could have prepared. Yeah, um, and that just didn't happen. Even though I mean, like there had been rumors, I guess, going on in Activision yeah. about those kinds of things. There was no concrete evidence or anything like that that people. I'm sure some people prepared for it, but like it's hard to prepare for something you don't know is going to happen for mm-hmm. sure. There was some debate online about um, the morality, the, the ethics of um, breaking that news um, oh. before the, the employees are able to be told about it. Huh. Um, uh, Kotaku's Jason Schreier, I think, uh, r- responded to say that that is something they think about a lot. Yeah. That like it's, it's valuable information and it has public relevancy, but also the, that can also be damaging to the people who who the news affects yeah um in a way that is not anticipated and so there isn't like a you know a right answer to that because it's, it's newsworthiness probably outweighs uh, uh those concerns but sure. uh those are real concerns yeah yeah that's true i don't know how i would feel like if i, I mean i was getting laid off but like or i wasn't sure whether or not i was getting laid off and it was reported about it a week before it actually happened yeah i think i would be kind of annoyed about, about that to be honest I well, I mean, I would be annoyed at the company that well, they <laughs> knew a week before they told me. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah. if they knew, they should tell the, yeah. the people. And so, and therefore, the journalism people actually did a good job because they're giving a heads up that the company should be giving. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's a fair point. <laughs> I have been laid off, and it, I don't remember the moment I was told mattering at all. <laughs> like, it sucked. So, yeah, that's know. true. I don't remember how much I worked after that. Like, was it like a week or two after the, before they actually, you know, stopped sending a paycheck or was it like four days? I don't remember those things because like that was sort of irrelevant. Like, yeah. Yeah, I guess. And, and, it, if you, it and if you tell people beforehand and if they 
are like disgruntled or whatever they could wreck stuff yeah. Right, which I mean, that's like a, that's a concern employers have, but like yeah. I don't care. Like <laughs> that's um, true. Th- really, the real reason for these kinds of notices is so that people can plan their next career move. Yeah, right? and like I've lived a freelance lifestyle, so like I I wasn't I didn't feel too bad. I didn't need to find a new job. I could just start getting clients again. But um, I think for a lot of people, you know, who have a sort of more traditional career path, like that becomes this ama- this incredible deadline that's just screaming up at them. It's like you know. Um, I need to find a new job now. And, yeah. and the more time you have to prep for that, the better. And I think the company's interests are not, uh, you know, maybe there's legitimacy to that, but like, it's like way low on the list of things that matter. So, so yeah, here's hoping that there's, there's more push and more discussion. Uh, I know yeah. that there's going to be panels and, and, and um, you know, off uh, site um, uh, gatherings and sure. stuff like that. Um, but yeah, let's see if more happens. Cool. Cool. On, in other news, Mark is famous now. <laughs> Oh yes, we're we're in the presence of uh, internet fame yes. here. Uh, I guess I'll tell the story. So yeah, I'm like seventh year internet famous. Um, uh, Martha, you didn't know about this until like just a minute ago. Yes, which is great. So um, I was up working on Widget Satchel at like three in the morning mm-hmm. as a do, and um, I uh, I was I sort of burned out and I took a break and I was looking on Twitter or something and then I just saw this thing someone posted about a Kickstarter project. Uh, it's sort of a joking project, and that the the it was to erase digitally erase the rat at the end of the movie The Departed. Okay, so Martin Scorsese movie from like thirteen years ago. Uh, do you, have you guys seen this movie? I, mm-hmm. I didn't even know it existed. It's like a pretty. It's the one that got Martin Scorsese an Oscar, but uh, everyone was like, "Oh, that was just an Oscar they gave him because we didn't give him one for other things." Mm. I don't like the Martin Scorsese movie that much, but I kind of thought that was okay. Okay, uh, you know, it's not a great movie, but like it's it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's a it's like a it's like a, a Boston mobster thing. It's a remake of a Hong Kong film, ah. and um, it, it it's all about finding the rat in an organization. Right. Oh, and okay. so at the end of the movie, as like the final guy is you know killed, and then it pans yeah. up, and it's all sad. Yeah, uh, it pans up to a shot of like this the uh, Massachusetts State's house. It's all about corruption and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you see an actual rat walk across the screen. <laughs> and so like the the thing is like it's a pretty heavy handed metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> which I remember thinking like fits the tone of that movie perfectly. Okay. Yeah. But um, this Kickstarter was like say like that is it ruins this movie. So we need to digitally erase it. We we have the technology. We can do it. And they laid out like a it was a, basically like a sketch basically. Mm-hmm. And they laid out a plan like, you know, I, I want $4,000 to do this and this is what I'm going to spend the money on. And it was every bit, every bit was comedy. Yeah. The, and I saw this and my reaction was, this is the worst thing ever. It's like the potato salad Kickstarter. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I liked the joke. Like the joke is pretty funny. Yeah. But I didn't want people paying for it. Like I, I didn't want, I don't sure. like that that's what happens. And like, I, I think a lot of our audience can empathize. Like we're independent artists. Like it's when someone just has like a silly meme idea and then it gets flooded with Kickstarter money. Yeah. Like there's, you feel sort of sour about that. Like yeah. it's not fair maybe, but like I remember thinking like, oh, this is the worst. Like I'm, I was so upset about it. And also I'm a motion graphics artist. So I'm a, I'm a digital compositor. Like I know that this will take two hours mm-hmm. and, and cost nothing. Yeah. Um, it, a, as a joke, if someone paid me to do it for their movie, I would charge them my rate. But like <laughs> as a, as a gag, like you shouldn't be, it's anyway. So I did it. I, I, <laughs> I, yeah. I immediately I opened up After Effects and I immediately got to work uh-huh. and at like five in the morning I was done yeah. and I posted it on Vimeo and then I just replied to a couple of tweets talking about it saying like I did it for free please don't give money to this nonsense <laughs> 
And so the 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 um the Kickstarter got a lot of you know attention as these things often do. Right. And something like you know a third or half the articles that talk about it also talk about my response to it. Ah. So I got quoted in Gizmodo and Time Magazine, and I think there was like a Boston Globe article because of course Boston Press is going to be over it. Mm. Um. And so I felt pretty good about getting to rain on this parade a little bit. Yeah. Of course, as it stands now, you can check for yourself by l- looking it up. It's like it's surpassed its goal by a certain a fair amount yeah. because all viral Kickstarters do right. Yeah. Uh, and there's like a month left. So what's going to happen is it's going to make another bunch of money near the end of its campaign. So yeah. I failed in my goal, well, but I did get seventh tier internet famous. This hey. so by the time you hear this, it's probably faded into the memory of, <laughs> of, of the internet. Um, but that's, it's like, it's exactly how I should have gotten seventh tier internet famous. Cause it's like totally, <laughs> it's very on brand for me. So <laughs> to be like mad about a thing like that and then spend time doing the work. <laughs> to, yeah. Hey, so that's what happened. Well, now you're famous. Yeah, we'll we'll put a link to the Gizmodo article because I I I, uh, I got contacted by the, the the writer to to give a response, so I got to actually sort of say my piece, which was really nice. Um, but I, I I don't know, it was very silly and it was very fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if it's the only it's, it's on my gravestone, I'll have a problem. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so now that you're famous, uh-huh. perhaps you'll have some fans. <laughs> <laughs> One could hope. <laughs> And they'll start cosplaying as Mark with their hat and. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Can some contingent of people show up in like little hats at the next gl- GlitchCon, please? Thank you. Um, <laughs> okay, so I wanted to talk about fan bases and fandoms because um, I was thinking about it going to PodCon because I went because. Like one to learn some stuff, but mostly it was because I was a McRoy fan mm-hmm. and I wanted to see them and meet them and be with all the other McRoy fans there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot, <laughs> and there were a lot of yeah. them. <laughs> like everywhere you went, you heard heard someone like talking about them behind you or in front of you or whatever. Yeah. Speaking of a brand, you you encountered many alternate Marthas, right? Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> you think you're a unique person, and then you go to a McRoy concert or a McRoy thing. And you see all the people who look exactly like you, <laughs> and people will accidentally mistake you for other people, and it's oh. weird. I mean, that hasn't happened to me, but it almost happened. Didn't you say that you saw a bunch of people who were like, yep. oh. Uh, <laughs> short hair, purple fleece jacket. Yeah. And I was like, Mar- oh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, n- everyone's not as unique as you think, which is part of being a fan. <laughs> yeah, you have a clan. That's something. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I looked up the word fandom. Turns out, according to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, um, it's been a word since 1903 at least, but back then it only was relevant to sports fans, um, because there wasn't very much else to be a fandom of, like books maybe? (laughs) Classical music concerts? (laughs) Uh, right, I guess uh, <laughs> you, in that time, like a, a, a sports event was about the only type of public gathering that had the kind of like rousing sort of energy that we associate with all types of events these days. Right, yeah. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure some historian person will be like, no, in fact, <laughs> there were many literary, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, there's been a lot of stuff in the news lately of, like developer and fan interactions and like mm-hmm. what 
what responsibility do we as developers have to fans and what responsibility do fans have to developers and yeah. like the etiquette around all of that. And like, there isn't really a clear like playbook for right. how, how does one be a good fan and how does one deal with fans in a way? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the boundary lines have gotten like uh, blurred even more as of late because, you know, we have Twitch, we have, Twitter, we have all the social media and other things. People can more easily access you and developers are more easily able to access fans. Mm -hmm. So like there's a much more, there's a much stronger conversation between the two. And it, 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 and oftentimes it's like confusing as to like how much, how much you should interact with fans, how much fans should, you know, influence you in, in what you're trying to develop. Like maybe your fans are like, Hey, put this thing, make it red. But you're like, but, but blue is better. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Right, but then it's is that going to impact sales? And do you, yeah. you know, cater to the whims of your audience? And and like yeah, you say there's that that barrier is, is dissolving. Mm-hmm. And, and but part of it is like an artifice, right? Like in order to gain a fan base, you need to appear accessible and responsive, right? But at the same time, you're you're never. And this is not like putting anybody down, but in, it's it has it has, to, it has to be this way. You can never be as responsive as you appear to be. Yeah. And because you can't explain why you're going to take their criticism me- measured against your own expertise and, you know, such and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you just have to give the impression that, like, we listen to our fans. And uh, and so it, it, there's a lot of opportunity for um, uh, misconstruing uh, behaviors on, on both of the sides. Right, right, exactly. It's very, yeah, it's difficult dance too i guess just just to just to balance that just to figure that out Mm -hmm. Uh, because not only that but like developers need boundaries because they have to work on the game they can't constantly be talking to you (laughs) (laughs) about stuff so um they need like they need some time to like you know actually work on the game and not just the stuff that the fans want you to work on too Mm -hmm. so that's usually that's why a lot of like the sort of celebrity um developers in the wider indie game community Mm -hmm. are people who are advocates speakers and uh, like um, you know, a, a small company founders who are now who now manage their companies mm-hmm. rather than day to day work on their games. Yeah, and that's just because those are the people who have the time and the and the ability and the skills to engage with audiences. Yeah, um, but it sort of hides how games are really made a little bit. Yeah, and it also makes sense for their brand too in mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, I was just thinking about like Ooblets and how they focused so much on the social media part at the beginning, and everyone was following them, and then like they backed off a little bit on that because it was cutting into their like actual like like the yeah. things they needed to develop right. <laughs> to make the game actually happen so mm-hmm. uh so yeah it's like a delicate balance between that and then also like how do we tell like fans can get very uh unrealistic expectations and like yes. how do you make sure like the whole um no man's sky thing where mm. the, it was a person who wasn't like i don't know if i don't think he was actually who, the guy who Sean Murray Sean Murray thank you um Sean Murray like made all these promises that all the devs were like that's not happening <laughs> but well, he I, was the lead dev on that thing really and it was I thought it was nice Sony was. basically making all the Im- implying all of the but you know that that confusion is part of the story yeah right of like who said what and who meant what and right. who misled who you know what I mean um it's not you know there are arguments about that stuff mm. Yeah, so uh, journalism and how it's reported too can can influence stuff as well. Yeah. One thing that I really like that Polygon's been doing is like doing a lot more behind the scenes sort of things. Like this is how this developer designed 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, this particular mechanic in uh, uh, Monster Hunter or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, and going into the in-depth, like, at least design things, not yeah. code things, sure. but design things. And I think, you know, if people did that more, you could have more realistic expectations of, like, what a game, what could actually go into a game. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how much you're asking as a fan when you say, let's put multiplayer in this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I, I have experience in that now. Don't just ask people to do online multiplayer <laughs> without knowing what you're talking about. Um, I mean, that, that, the difficult is, the thing is, though, is that, like, as a fan, you're really invested in this game and you, like, want things from it. But, like, you're also not a developer in the game. So, like, and if, even if you, like, develop things on your own sometimes you still don't necessarily have an idea on like the scope at which it takes to build the, some of the things that they want to implement in yeah. the game um and so it's hard uh as a fan to even like understand what kind of work can go into it so like as a fan i can understand why you would be like oh you know just flip the switch and it's got multiplayer right that's all you need to do because you, you, <laughs> you, you wouldn't necessarily know any better or or maybe you heard uh, wrong information or something like that but like but you just really want to be able to play online with your friends or something so like i i can see why you would right you're like this is what me an expert on what what i like about this game yeah and what people like about this game yeah this is what i think is the next step for it naturally right and if it's not the vision of the development team then it starts to feel because you know you are sort of uh, kind of taught to expect some ownership a little bit mm-hmm. this is definitely true of people who are like heavy boosters and organizers for the fandoms. Yeah. Right. People who like run Reddit groups and people who like organize events or, or, you know, or like get a, t- a hashtag t- trending. Like they feel yeah. that ownership. And, yeah. and in fact, they are like concretely beneficial to the game and the community, mm-hmm. but that doesn't give them any uh, authority over the direction of it. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people when they're in that situation feel that they're owed that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, it, but there's no, like, there's no, there's not even a social contract to govern that kind of thing. Yeah. And so it can be kind of fraught. Yeah. Um, and that's true of like people who are, you know, hardcore fans versus casual fans too. Like those, mm-hmm. those conflicts can happen at that level too. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a complicated topic. <laughs> as all of our topics are <laughs> so have you uh, interacted with fandoms and or with the create with creators and what has worked for you and not like I thought very hard about what I was going to say when I met the Macroys mm-hmm. um, so that I could appear as a normal person who wasn't obsessed um, but not be too normal in to fade into the background and yeah. I think that's what I did instead but that's better than being a weirdo <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah. right right um, at the end of PodCon they did well I think is that public the things that they did the um, listen to this podcast when yeah, uh, yeah that's an actual feed okay yeah. so we'll link to that um, but they did one at the end of the con that was listen to this podcast when you just met Justin McRoy and you said something embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> Um, so have you had any interactions with creators and how did they go? <laughs> uh, I have had interactions with creator. I mean, I met Reggie. Did I, was, I, I was going to say that. Oh yeah. Reggie. Yeah. oh, yeah. We didn't talk about Reggie's retiring. Y'all, it's sad. Except. Oh, but <laughs> Bowser's taking over. <laughs> yeah, Doug, Doug Bowser's taking over, taking the place of uh, Reggie. He's in it. Yeah, I would love Nintendo. to talk about that for yeah. 20 minutes, but I feel like. 
the moment of that joke has probably passed well. Fair. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's two week old information at this point. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I mean, Reggie looks like an, like an eternal uh, demigod. Like, I don't know how old he is, <laughs> yeah. but he's retiring. He seems uh, he seems young, but like, I don't actually know how old he seems. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, in person, he's got honestly in person. He's in got person. such a like, I know. Right? <laughs> I met him. <laughs> <laughs> he has such a like a commanding force. Like everybody shut up as soon as he entered the room. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, uh, it was wow. <laughs> you know what's extra great about that? It's yeah. like he's not going to be meeting a lot of fans going forward. Yeah. So you got in under the wire, buddy. <laughs> it feels kind of good. Uh, but so I, I mean, uh, when I when that happened, I uh, I just I shut up and I listened to him. <laughs> I, I well, but I was what I was trying to do is I was trying to be respectful of his time. Um, it is not to say that like Reggie is more important than me as a person, but like, but, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he does have a business to run. Uh, um, so as Steven business, I can respect that. <laughs> so I was, I was trying to be respectful of his time and um, his presence um, at, in the moment. And mm-hmm. I think that like, that's important uh, just because like, I, I, like you were saying, Martha, I think that like, if you, like go hog wild at, uh, like and be like crazy fan or whatever. Then like you will appear like a crazy fan. <laughs> you don't you don't want to do that because <laughs> mm-hmm. it'll it'll like you know it'll keep creep people out and stuff. Yeah, um, and you want to have nice interactions with people you're fans of, right? So yeah, I think the um, I mean it's exciting to meet someone you love, you know, like mm-hmm. in in that way. Um, and like I've had various interactions with certain famous people over the years. I, when I was when I was doing college radio, I interviewed a lot of people who were my heroes. Um, I interviewed Billy Corgan and Smash Pumpkins with my favorite band mm. in high school. And um, in I, high school, you did that? No, no. I, in high school, you were my favorite band. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I matured a little bit, <laughs> even, but I still love that band. Sure. Uh, these days, not as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, I, I and I, I love, I loved that. I loved that the, I was in a position to be in proximity to the things that that I appreciated. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I think over time, I think that if you if you have a couple of these, this is like anything that you sort of get a, a proper stock of. Mm-hmm. If you once you've had your third sort of like random like C list or even A list celebrity encounter, you suddenly realize it's just not that big a deal, mm-hmm. right? And 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 so your excitement has to be has to be placed somewhere else. Like you yeah. say, you have to respect that person's time. Like you know, it is what is it, what does it add to the fabric of your life that you had a three minute conversation that is about nothing? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. just to check off a box. But like so now, like these days, like if I'm you know when I go to an event and there's like a, a meet and greet afterward, if yeah. I don't really have anything like that. Makes sense. It's like they say at conventions, like go up and ask a question if you think the question would be interesting if somebody else asked it. Yeah. So I use that same standard, and it's like, you know, like otherwise I'm just happy to be in a room, I guess, with that person. Yeah. You know, like that seems that's good enough for me now. Um, and I don't know. I, I think a lot of people. It's not a. It's not a very. Un, it's not an uncommon thing. I think um, people. Uh, uh, most people have the capacity to get over themselves. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah. You know? Um. But yeah. Sometimes I, I sometimes I do wonder. Like sometimes I'm kind of just sort of golem around the experience, and like I feel like yeah, it's no big deal. But then later I'm like, should I made a made a big deal out of that? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it. The, uh, <laughs> 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 it, I, I I I like I kind of like the way you're approaching it, frankly, because like uh, it is like a big deal, and that like you get to meet somebody who you, you know you're uh, you have you're a fan of, but. Yeah. Like it's not such a big deal that like it will change the course of your life or anything like sure, that. Sure. Yeah. Um. And so like you should approach it in that way. Like you should be like, oh, this is a cool thing. 
Um, but not like, oh, this is the most amazing thing I will ever experience ever in my and life. And now we'll be best friends. Yeah. And- <laughs> or, that, right, right. or I'm peaking here and it's just downhill or something. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you have a good attitude about approaching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's like a, uh, a very good way of looking at it. Yeah. And I think the, the, the sort of common cliche of people feeling they get really nervous around someone they, that they like. Yeah. I think that's just an extension of what I've been talking about. Like, mm-hmm. I think everybody has that attitude when it comes down to it. Yeah. As much as we all fear that we won't be able to keep it together, which means we all care about keeping it together. Yeah. You know, so I don't think it's that unique. Yeah. Um, exactly. And, and it's, it's almost, it's, uh, the experience is kind of similar to like, I don't know, interacting with somebody you're attracted to or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that like, um, you may like in your mind, you're like, Oh man, I really want to have a relationship with this person. Oh, I hope this goes well, blah, blah, blah. But like you should temper your expectations. So that like and let are, Reggie get back to work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly that. Um, <laughs> yeah, just temper your expectations. I think is mm-hmm. an important way of as a fan, deal, you know, meeting meeting someone you're a fan of. Yeah, and like expressions of fandom, I think that have more value, especially as you you know. The more you're part of a culture of fandom, the more the more rich it can become and the more avenues you can express it, right? Yeah. 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 So there's lots of things you can do as a fan just with other fans, like, you know, editing wikis, going like participating or going to fan panels at, at uh, conventions and stuff, going to meetups, um, doing cosplay of the characters of the games, uh, making fan art and videos and fan fiction and podcasts and yeah. et cetera about their your fan mm-hmm. thing <laughs> um and w- one other cool thing that i th- is i think is so cool that happens is like some fandoms end up having their own like little mini vocabulary like i uh i keep bringing up the macros but that's what's on my mind right now <laughs> um like like the way they talk on the podcast is sometimes pretty unusual and so like if you like get the same cadence of talking as them mm-hmm. like you can tell uh, if yeah. someone's watched like especially in the video game world if someone's watched the McElroy videos you can tell because they use like some of the same things ah. um, and then like there's the podcast that we're fans of the greatest generation about Star Trek and there's little things you can say to other fans yeah. so that they know that you watch that or you listen to the show mm-hmm. it's like you know are you a friend of DeSoto yeah, and best boss I ever had <laughs> Which I think, like, linguistically is so cool because it, like, <laughs> creates these little, like, you can mark yourself. And you can do that with, with like, merch and stuff, like mm-hmm. pins or, like, shirts and stuff. And mm-hmm. then you can, like, have an interaction with another person who likes the same thing. And that's, like, a starting off point for a conversation. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, point. I think that, like, you know, being a fan of something allows you to connect with somebody else in that way. Yeah. Uh, that is, you know, that's really cool uh, that... Uh, you can't really do if you're not a fan of things. Who's not a fan of anything? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's two sides of it though, because oh, yeah. a lot of times I will like a thing, and but then I can't be a fan of it because I, I'm I'm outside the gates of fandom, oh, and I'm sure. not interested in what's on the other side necessarily. Yes. And that can be extremely frustrating mm-hmm. because you want to like something, you want to talk to people about it, but then they have this different love for it, yeah. that like you are not on board with, and like and there's just not enough of the of you 
to like build a separate sort of like you know uh, interpretation of it or something you're like that's not what i like about that yeah <laughs> yeah oh well, yeah and like you can totally feel like you're a fan of something but not feel like you're connected to the community because yeah because like they like certain things about it uh that you uh, are not as much of a fan of or something like that. right and it's not that you disagree exactly it's yeah. just you don't have the same fervency about a about the sort of zeitgeist of it yeah you know? right um this is true of like a lot of th- like you know, like the TV show Sherlock has like a, you know, oh, th- yeah. things that when you hear like, <laughs> like, oh, that fandom and you know exactly what they're talking about. Yeah. Th- that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of that you could, it, it actually starts keeping people away yeah. who would otherwise appreciate it. At, it. Like, it's not even as like less than, but enough. It's like, it's as much. It's just in a different way. It's yeah. not in the sort of prescribed canonical fanon way, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like the doc, speaking of British fan, like based fandoms, yeah. like the Doctor Who fandom, I cannot. I cannot yeah. with them because, well, it's like, uh, I think I've told this story on the podcast before maybe, but uh, we, we used to get like VHS tapes of OG Doctor Who, like yeah. back from the day. And I like tried to get my friends to watch it and they're all like, no, that's like an old show, like whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the new one came up and they were like, did you see this show, Doctor Who? And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. that's mostly why. Because I'm, I'm, you know. You were there first. Yes, you, I was there first. You were there except I it was wasn't cool. because <laughs> I was there after it was cool originally, right? But before it was cool again. Right. So <laughs> in that period, it was totally uncool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I think that like being, uh, it's weird because like you can, yeah, you could totally be a fan of something, but just and in fact, just not like the fan base, and it makes you feel like you shouldn't be liking this thing as much. Because, I mean, there's an association with gamers in general now that, yes. that is uh, troubling. Right. Game fans with a Z or whatever. Right. <laughs> that, that kind of. And, you yes. know, it's a slur in a sense. It's like it's an exaggeration of, of what the culture is. But yeah. like, it's not that far off. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I as a, I as a person who likes games and enjoys playing them, I want to divorce myself from that, like, identity that, like. Oh, that I play games. The gamers, yeah, yeah. That, that kind of thing. But like, also, I play games a ton, and like, I enjoy that, and I enjoy interacting with people who play games a ton. So like, it's a it's a strange conflict um, of interest for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think for a lot of people too, with with that with that kind of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I think like I'm sure that uh, other people who listen to us uh, could probably agree with this too, in that like. Um, you might not necessarily identify as like someone who plays a ton of games, but like you like games and you enjoy uh, interacting with people who like games. Um, but you want to keep away from like the bad side of that stuff. Yeah, um, and it's not it's not even it's that, but it's mm-hmm. also um, just the the detail, like the, the the facts of the matter. Like, yeah. you're a super huge fan of Smash Brothers. Yes. like it's like your favorite game series. Yes, but you're not a fan of Melee. No, and like <laughs> it's, as much, you no. just don't like it as much. But yeah. like that is that is the sort of pinnacle. Even fans who don't like it's not their favorite. There's like a that that has this sort of like basis that the fandom revolves around. Of the clo- the closer you get to the the yeah. center of it, yeah. And so I, I'm sure that feels weird sometimes because it's like it's you can't have those conversations necessarily. Yeah, yeah totally. Because like sometimes I'll, I'll say, oh yeah, I love Super Smash Brothers, and then be like, oh man, did you see uh, You Two King fight? Uh, Hungry box or whatever. I don't watch melee, uh, <laughs> and um, I'll be like, uh, no, because you know I'm more because melee Smash sucks. Ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a Smash Ultimate person. Um, I don't want to get letters, guys. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't saying my opinion. I was just repeating what I've heard before from Stephen. Yes. <laughs> Send your letters to Stephen. Great. 
<laughs> no, don't. That would be a bad fan interaction. Nice Games Club fans. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, send it to the feedback forum. <laughs> Um, but yes, I, I have a hard time interacting sometimes with like other Super Smash Brothers fans because uh, melee is such a force in the in, in our community. Yeah, um, in that like, and I, I like all all but don't pay attention to it at all really. So like, I uh, sometimes I'm like, I don't really want to talk about melee. I don't even want to watch it because it's it's I don't find it very exciting to watch anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I definitely feel that. Yeah, <laughs> and then Martha, your McElroy fandom, you're like all in. Like you are, like you were saying, you're you're of the type of the McElroy fan, so it must feel very comfortable. Um, sometimes because yeah. there are a certain subset of McElroy fans who I do not identify with. Most of the ones who are exclusive or like more uh, Adventure Zone fans than they are of just general oh, right. McElroy things. There are spheres of fandom now. Yes, because yeah. <laughs> their their media empire spans many. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um. And I just can't identify with some of the people, like people who are like heavily into cosplay. Like I don't do that very much. Like I tried once back when I was a huge Miyazaki fan Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't finish my costume and it just was a lot of work. And I was like, I don't really want to do this. (laughs) (laughs) So like there's a huge subset of fans that do that. And so I'm just like not part of that thing. Um, But I do like meeting macro fans on the street being like, oh, hey. Like I went to buy the Adventure Zone graphic novel at the store, and they were like, "Oh, hey, you're you're a Mabim Bam fan." I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> Just saying, Mabim Bam. Yes. <laughs> Most of the time, nobody knows what that means. <laughs> to it. I feel like the the lyrical quality of saying that acronym is got to be worth like fifteen percent of the popularity of that program. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how could you not like it? At least fifteen percent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, and we can find a good balance with fan interactions and uh expectations yes just as you have to find a good balance in your game design <laughs> but don't just <laughs> expert work colleagues <laughs> yeah i want to talk about game design balance because it is currently my favorite topic to talk about in game design uh-huh. i love it a lot um and frankly like it's kind of the reason why i started getting into games or making games again uh because when I was in college, I played uh, League of Legends. Um, and uh, the. Speaking of fandoms. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, they were always pretty wild. Um, we'll do a follow up for toxic fandoms later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I really like how um, the developers, the designers specifically, would like interact with fans and talk about why they made the decisions they did for this and why mm-hmm. they, you know, nerfed a thing or buffed a thing or whatever else. Um, and uh, it's like, uh, it's like uh, the Overwatch updates. Yeah, with, with yeah. Jeff or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so I, I really like those interactions, and I really like them going over all of that stuff and the thought process behind it and stuff. And I just found that super fascinating. Um, and so I was like, man, I should maybe do this uh, for myself. Then I started working on Vengeance, and four years later, it's not out. Uh, <laughs> but I like. But there's lots of things to balance. Exactly. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> um, actually, one of the uh, man, I don't know if I should talk about that. Well, one of the things we're working on at, at work, uh, my, my one of my coworkers is working on a thing, and it has a lot of numbers and stuff. And I'm, I'm like, kind of constantly prodding, going, "Hey, uh, can I look at your, your numbers? <laughs> how do, how hey, buddy, n- what's your number? <laughs> how those numbers look at? <laughs> uh, I, I got my own numbers. You want to see? <laughs> Just <laughs> share our numbers. <laughs> <sighs> so I love this topic. Um, what okay so what is the importance of balance why do you want your game to be balanced and what the heck is balance really i mean game design 
balance is like, you know, uh, making sure that like a player when they're playing your game is challenged, but not doesn't feel like it's impossible. It just like the game feels fair for everyone to play. And to be clear, you're talking about balance in a really broad sense. So not really just about balance between competitors. Yeah. You mean like balance of like all the mechanics. So this applies to single player games. Yes. Right. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. So like, yeah, um, if, well, like, for example, if you're playing a game and, like, there's a loot system and, like, if you just grab certain loot and then you can defeat everything, that's poor balance because, like, then it, it trivializes the rest of the game mm-hmm. once you get this thing. Unless that's the point of that object, then it's, like, a whole. And you got to think that through and yep. realize why you're doing that. Um, there's a game I've been recently playing um, a lot of uh, Crashlands mm-hmm. by Butterscotch Shenanigans, who are in St. Louis. Um, Midwest, whoop. Um, <laughs> they, yeah. they also have a development podcast. Oh, um, yeah! To in the show notes, listen yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there the game is basically like loot and crafting and survival and stuff like that. And their balance is so good because the minute you're feeling overpowered and like, oh man, I found everything that I need to find, and then and then you find a recipe for another thing that has a whole ton of other craft like another station that has more things to craft yeah and like you find another enemy that's hard too hard for the the current weapons that you have and you have to go further and further out and yeah it just like i've been obsessed with playing it lately because (laughs) it just the minute i get bored something else gets introduced and it's very good yeah cool yeah um i think i like that kind of stuff is important because like you should constantly feel like you're you know playing a game and not like everything is just trivialize as soon as you get this thing because that just feels bad then it just feels like you're wasting your time playing this game after you beat it you have like effectively beat it before you even got to the end at least that's how i feel (laughs) um um, and i think also it's important that uh game design balance because like it allows players to trust your design um so like if you break the balance in some way um the players will understand why this is happening and why like you broke it like like with this item thing if you give somebody a super powerful weapon um, they'll understand that, oh, you know, they gave me this because like I did all of this work to get to this point and I'm like 95% of the way done with this thing. I can trivialize the rest of the, the thing because I worked really hard for it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it helps, it helps uh, the players, you know, understand you, understand your thought process behind the design and trust you as a developer. Um, I think that's very important. Um, but it is, it's interesting because like there's a huge difference between like single player and multiplayer game design. And I think that like multiplayer game design has a lot of what single player game design needs. Um, but I, I want to talk about like how single player, like you, you want to make sure that like, your players feel powerful and stuff. So like you'll tweak the numbers such that like they'll deal five and your enemies deal two. So they feel powerful because like, you know, you're dealing mm-hmm. 2.5 times as much damage, but uh, you still want to make it challenging. So maybe you'll put more of those enemies around um, to, you know, to balance it out. Yeah. Um, those kinds of things uh, th- th- are things you need to think about. Um, but you also don't want to make it so that like it's boring. You need to make sure that like the the the, the balance you have for your game makes sense for the audience you're looking for for your game too. Um, and the, the tone you want to, to go. It's like it's, yeah. you don't necessarily need to balance it so like fifty fifty the player versus the AI. Yes. You need to balance it for like how you want the player to feel. Do you want the player to feel powerful? Yes. And you know, in a superhero game, you want the player to be a little bit overmatched, mm-hmm. or, you know, overmatch the opponents. Yeah. But in a, a survival horror game, you want the opposite. Right. Right. At least you want the feeling of that. Yes. Like, you know, you, you may want your survival horror game to actually not be that difficult, but feel difficult. Yeah. So yeah. this is all. It's not just about like how many hit points versus how much shields, uh, you know, you've got. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. You definitely need to think about that. And yeah, what you what you want the players to feel. That's that's a very important point. Um, and horror games in particular are interesting in that respect. But I don't want to. Well, we horror games are not interesting. Bit. We all agree. <laughs> <laughs> I respect horror games, but do not like them. <laughs> <laughs> that is my feeling. Um, You're not yeah. a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that, that kind of balance of stuff is important. Something you want to consider while you're developing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of horror games with balance, um, they just re-released Resident. Is it Resident Evil? Resident Evil, Evil 2. Two? Yeah. And there's this like giant uh, zombie guy, apparently, who follows you around in one level. Okay. And a lot of the videos I've watched on it, they... Have noted that that seems very unbalanced because the minute he finds you, he catches you. But oh. it's very easy to get away from him, so it just becomes an annoyance rather than like a natural challenge. Ah, him. okay, yeah. Well, that's as uh, an example of tweaking the numbers. Maybe that would make it a little bit more. It would make it less annoying and more like a you know an engagement sort of thing for for players. Um, you know, I think there's a there's you you can speak to this. Yeah. There's like. I always have difficulty when people talk about tweaking the numbers. Yes. Because to me, it's like, it seems almost beside the point. Like, I, like a, an example like that Resident Evil, I don't know the game, so that I might be just not uh, interpreting it correctly. But sure. like, if you tweak like how frequently you, the, it catches up to you versus how, what the chance is that it will get you if it finds you. Yeah. Like, that's all fine. But I think the problem, that, I don't think that solves the problem exactly. I think it's, it's a design issue. Oh, no. It's totally like designing is a, design a scenario. Issue. Yeah. And then the, the the numbers almost seem like a secondary concern. I think that I think that the numbers are a part of that. Yeah, like the numbers are supposed to support your design for it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I I think that like they I I don't I mean I don't know what numbers they use to tweak this thing, but like it sounds like the encounter just happened too frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they wanted this this character to be an imposing force, so they decided that like they should show up frequently so that the player is constantly aware of it. But maybe. Because it's so easy to get away from this, from whatever the creature is, uh, it made it so that it felt more like, it, like you said, it felt more like an annoyance than an actual issue, something you have mm-hmm. to face and deal with. I think that, like, if 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 uh, I'm, uh, I mean, I wish I, I I wish I knew more about like how the development of that worked in that game in particular. But like, I, I feel like they they could have merged the design and the, the mechanics of the games better or better so that it, like it felt more like. Um, a constant imposing force, but not an annoyance. Mm-hmm. There's a really great um, set of articles and videos about alien isolation. Oh yeah, you do so this exact same concept yes. where it's it is when you actually peel back the curtain. It's amazing how much rubber banding is in that game. <laughs> or like it, when you escape from the alien, the alien like the the AI of the alien always knows where you are. Yeah, um, but it doesn't know exactly where you are. So the alien is always coming into the room you're in. Mm-hmm. Like and so even if you like. Uh, like reasonably like from a real world perspective are able to like uh, get you know lose its tail and yeah. like get get rid of it yeah it will always know where you are but it doesn't know exactly so it always feels like it can find you yeah um but it but then the ai the, the sort of like inside the room has no idea it just knows to look for you so if you escape the room it will still continue looking in that room mm-hmm. until it gives up then it will go back to knowing what room you're in ah. and so it's it's utterly artificial yeah right but it it, it gives that feeling and I think that's the. I'm sure. I'm, I imagine that's something a similar system for uh, any mechanic like this. Yeah. Um, but then, but I guess that's kind of speaks to my point is that like uh, it's all artifice. So like numbers really implies a, a, like an exactitude that I, that I think is sure. a little bit too um, aspirational. I think for the, the, what game design really is. I, 
to be fair, I do approach this in a way that like, I'm like oh, numbers, I can ch- change them like that. <laughs> um, and, but I do agree that like you, there's no perfect there's no perfect equation to get this thing to be absolutely perfect. Yeah, um, it's just it's not possible. Right, right. Um, but because the important. world is fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is important to set your goals. Yeah. So that the, the whatever whatever tweaks you do, you can evaluate. The, do they reach your goals rather than do they reach perfection? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, seven of nine <laughs> uh, yeah um, I, I just like uh, I, I wish I had a better understanding of like analyzing the numbers but I like to use the numbers as a method to um, um, uh, help 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 figure out what it is I want from this thing and help mm-hmm. figure out what what I should change in order to get it to work yeah and that, those are the kinds of the discussions that I saw on like the, the riot forums and stuff that I really enjoyed I really liked them yeah. Having a, like having a back and forth between developers and players and like trying to and them explaining um, why it is that they came to this decision. And they didn't necessarily they didn't always use numbers and stuff to determine those things. But they did oftentimes talk about like the win rates of a certain champion or whatever in League of Legends. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would help uh, determine whether or not this character needed more power or less power or such. Yeah. In um, multiplayer, that kind of like data analysis can yeah. be really important. Yes. For that kind of stuff. Yes. It's, it's something very different from single player. And it's important to make sure that there is a balance, but like you also, you know, just yeah. make sure that the player feels like they're in a world and feels like they're supposed, the way they're supposed to feel. Yeah. Um, but in multiplayer, competitive games specifically, um, you need to, you want to make sure that like both players have, um, uh, an even opportunity, an approximately even opportunity to, you know, compete against one another, mm-hmm. um, even if they're using different characters. And you're, and there's no possible way to get that to be perfect because every character is different, and so they'll have innate advantages or disadvantages against another uh, character. But like, um, this is where like perfect imbalance comes into play. There's a um, a video uh, from Extra Credits that talks about this that maybe we'll link to in the in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's it's basically trying to get it so that all of your your characters um, have um, strong enough of a role. They feel different from one another, unique and special, but they also, you know, are balanced in a way so that like one character can competently compete against another character and not to the point where you don't want to make it to the point where like as soon as somebody picks this character, um, a player playing this character is going to automatically lose. Bayonetta! <laughs> right. <laughs> in Smash 4. Yeah. Um, because, like, that, I mean, that feels terrible because, like, you might as well not be playing the game at that point. Um, but you also don't want to make it so that they're literally playing the same game, like the original Street Fighter, or the same character, like the original Street Fighter. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, uh, uh, players having the same, like, control scheme and character quote quote mm-hmm. is okay because like you know there's tetris 99 that's a thing that everybody can oh, piece yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they have i think they spawn with the same pieces and such mm-hmm. i don't know that to be fair <laughs> but like they're all playing tetris right they're evenly matched right yes, this exactly. is like games like chess yeah like, yeah chess totally. is a is is you know a, a Famously feels incredibly balanced, mm-hmm. but uh, both players have the same. They start with the same thing. There's no meta yes. to chess. Yeah, um, in, in that sense, right? Um, and like, I'm attracted to games like that. So, but like Smash, Smash is a great example of something where like control. I mean, even though the control scheme for the players have the same like you know basic inputs, right? Th- how you play is so incredibly different, and mm-hmm. I think more than any other game, it, they find a way to make that s- feel balanced. Yeah. And you know they put out numbers to sort of prove that yes, the you know Peach isn't overpowered, or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. like um, it, it, it's 
depending on your play style, you engage with that totally differently, and that gives it a real sort of a richness and a a, a lot of detail. Yeah. And what I really love about Super Smash Bros. specifically, and why this like it's perfect for me <laughs> as a thing, is that like the way that they make the characters is like uh, in a lot in most of the most most cases. I don't know if this is the case for all of the characters, but like they oftentimes will just take the games that these characters are from and like use their abilities in that game to enforce what role they play in this in, in Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, um, and I, I just love that. Like, uh, I mean, like Bayonetta, for example, in uh, in in the, in, the, in the actual Bayonetta game, she combos people with like uh, constantly, and they can't get out of the combos and stuff. But like, you have to be careful and defensive before you can get to that point where you can, you know, destroy uh, whatever creature you're trying to kill. Um, and in Super, in Super Smash Brothers, she's the same way. She has very strong combos, but like, she has to be careful about how she approaches it because otherwise, she won't be able to get in, and then she'll get yeah. defeated. So, like each and each like. Uh, atomic encounter yes. in Smash can be wildly imbalanced. Right. But then, which is why when you play Smash, it feels like a party game. Mm. Because it doesn't, a lot of times it doesn't feel like you're, you're evenly matched moment to moment. Yeah. But then in the aggregate, it's balanced, which yes. is also why it makes a good tur- tournament game. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. One uh, downside of, of competitive games that are keep going and keep changing balance wise is that if you're a casual player, like this is, this is why. My boyfriend Dylan plays mostly bots when he plays uh, or against bots when he's playing League of Legends because mm-hmm. he has to constantly, because re- he only plays like once a month or whatever sure. when he's like, oh, I'll go play League of Legends and like all the champions will be changed. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so like, oh, you know, you know, I used to play this one and now I like my play style is totally like doesn't work with this character anymore. Yeah. So you have to like, constantly be learning. And he's like, it's way more fun to just play that against bots. But he hates he hates when characters get changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that like a lot of PC games in particular will do this, um, where they're like they'll have a character and like it's not a very popular character and they have a low win rate and blah blah blah, and they'll like re revamp the character so that they'll uh, have a better fit in the, in the competitive scene. But like players who used to play that character, um, yeah, I mean they they will look it'll that character will be completely different now, and so like they won't want to play that character anymore. Yeah, um, and that it happens. That happened in Overwatch too, right? Yeah. There was that one woman who Symmetra. Symmetra, yeah, she had the shields or whatever. I don't play that game. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of games I don't play. <laughs> um, um, but like they changed how she worked so that like uh, com- the competitive scene would like uh, use her in more teams. I think it ended up being the case where like they still don't use her in stuff. But like that alienated her original fan base because like they really liked how she used to play, um, and those are kinds of things that like you, uh, you should consider, I suppose. Like I, I think in fighting games in particular, most of the time they just like add new characters. They won't like completely revamp characters, mm-hmm. except in between iterations. Um, so it, it's, it doesn't seem like it's as much of a concern on like console games, but mm. it is something to you know be annoyed about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that like that that. Um that insular quality of those multiplayer games is that balance as you keep up with the balance and the meta and all of that, that is just relating to your topic, Martha. Like it, it can keep you out of a fandom. Yeah. Like if you're like, Oh, I love this game, but like I only play it twice a month, which is probably a lot for any one game, but still isn't enough for me to really be able to play this game. Yeah. Um, I know it's, it's kept me from games like overwatch and, and, and from, from MOBAs. Like I like a lot of those mechanics, but like I cannot devote time to understanding it. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah I, and and then it's not fun to get wrecked. Oh so yeah, then, then you just 
stop playing it. <laughs> yeah, I, that's why I stopped playing League of Legends. I used to be really into it, but I mean, I had more time back then, and now I do not have the time to constantly invest in trying to figure out what character is good for this or whatever. Yeah, so I just stopped playing. I mean, as a side uh, topic, like you know, matchmaking yeah. is an, is another element of balancing yeah, systems. That's true. Maybe it's a stretch to say <laughs> the topic, but like it could be if we could talk about in the future, like it's to like a lot of developers probably are very nervous about like their audience is becoming like uh, calcified mm-hmm. and unable to accept new people. But then all of a sudden you have to, you have to maintain your audience. So you have to keep it going. And it's like that just further moves you away from uh, like growth. Yeah. Know? I can speak to that a little bit. Uh, I mean, cause we have a match making system, a treasure stack. Yeah. We have a ranked game system. Um, but our, our, the way you rank up is pretty simple. If you treasure win, stack out now, yes, it is out now. Buy it. Buy it. <laughs> I saw, oh, oh, just a side topic, yeah. but yeah, I saw it on the Switch store ah! and wishlisted it. <laughs> hey, thank you. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Um, but uh, we, we, uh, the way that you rank up in Treasure Stack is pretty simple. You just have to win three games uh, in a row. Mm-hmm. No, actually, no, just three games. You just have to win three games, um, and then you'll go up a, a tier or whatever else. Um, and we try to match you with similar tiered uh, players, but like... Um, is it win ratios, like, or is it just raw wins? It's literally just if you win three games and you don't lose three games in a row. Oh, okay. that will rank you down if you lose three games in a row. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So like, it's actually it's it's um it's a different metric for going up versus going down. Yes, that's interesting. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Uh, the balance should be so that like players will generally go up because uh, it doesn't feel good to go down. <laughs> um, um, All right, because this is exposed to the player, or is it? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, okay, players okay. will see all this stuff. Um, and see where their rankings are. And right. Um, so, uh, but like we, we tried to balance it in such a way that like um, we wanted, we wanted players of similar rank to rank, uh, play against one another because uh, we figured that like they would have similar amounts of wins. Uh, but at a certain point, it also feels like uh, if you just play the game enough, you'll just rank up enough points um, so that like it, it kind of doesn't matter whether or not like, or how many wins you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is the case with a lot of with a lot of matchmaking things. Is that like at a certain point, it just feels like it's really the time invested that makes you score higher, and less so like how good you actually are at the game. Um, and that doesn't feel good. Uh, yeah, but I suppose that's like a side topic sort of thing. <laughs> no, I mean it's yeah. all it's all part of it. Like yeah. that, like when, you know the difference between multiplayer and single player. It's like this philosophies of balance in all things. Mm-hmm. And like you say, you have this ranking system that is exposed to the player. So that's a that's separate. It's almost a separate system from like matchmaking ranking but because they share a system you need to balance between those two the goals of those systems yes. as well so it's an extra challenge yes um so yeah. it's all it's all a holistic experience <laughs> right yeah everything everything is connected yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i do want to bring up a little bit uh cooperative games because you know i'm working on Fingence, mm-hmm. um and i uh i think that it's important like when you're making a cooperative game to make sure that every player when they're playing a game they feel like they can uh they have a role in the team and they feel like they are making an impact in the game yeah. in some way, even if it's not necessarily like the optimal way. Uh, like with Fintance, the way we've uh, built all of the characters is that like, even if you're just playing for yourself or, or uh, if, even if you're just playing for yourself, you'll still, uh, you'll still like contribute to the team by even playing selfishly because like that, that kind of thing you're doing will help, you know, like dealing a bunch of damage to enemies 
will destroy that enemy so other players don't have to deal with that enemy and such. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, those are the kinds of things like when you're uh, developing a game to consider a cooperative game. Right, you're balancing between like how each of the characters feel yes. and the, the different weapons and stuff, but yeah. also how different play styles work together. Yeah. Right? And, and the thing is, is that like with cooperative games, they don't necessarily have to be uh, equal in balance either. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that like, I think it's less important in a cooperative game to have characters uh, of similar strength. Yeah. Uh, because like think Sonic and Tails, like yeah. it's still a pretty fun two player game, mm-hmm. even though those characters have, are wildly. Unbalanced right. From yeah. Game. Tails is way better because Tails can fly, <laughs> but <laughs> and can't die. Yes, exactly. But like that same is still fun. Um, uh-huh. I guess it's because Tails can't complete levels by right. So <laughs> it's still Sonic's show. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, it's, yeah, it's not as important as long as everybody feels like they're, you know, contributing mm-hmm. um, and, and they're feeling good. Uh, it, it, I think it's, uh, you should maybe approach single player or cooperative game uh, balance kind of similar to single player balance in that, like you want to make sure that all your players feel what it, what it is you want them to feel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have, Balance examples in the games we're developing. Well, I know that in Widget Satchel, mm-hmm. uh, we I built you a tool to yes. analyze the the collectibles in each level. Yes, and you've been distributing them if, if, to balance the progression of the player. Yes. Oh my goodness, that thing is so useful. <laughs> I felt like half the time I was doing it was counting all of the widgets in the game. Yeah, and then I'd have to like start over because like I miscounted or something, and it, that tool is so helpful. <laughs> Thank goodness, I have that. <laughs> well, we can talk a little bit about like you know what the what like there. That's an example, but there's mm-hmm. also tools you make to to be able to um to uh, audit how well you're doing by your own standards. Yeah, right. That's the problem we had in Widget Satchel. It's like we want to have like this many here, but like yeah, you have to k- just literally count on screen how many there are. Yeah. Um, and so we we built the tool to do that, and so just make the look less friction for for that that work yeah totally um and and with other games too they have a bunch of tools and metrics and graphs and such to like they will help them yeah determine whether or not like this thing is really good or not mm-hmm. um i like like in metro nexus that there's a bunch of graphs and stuff that like you can look at to see how well you did in the game yeah, yeah. I, I i don't know if you're planning on using that for any balancing purposes but um yeah so in metro nexus at the end of each match you get a ch- you get these two-dimensional charts in all these different metrics that show mm-hmm. how the players did and it's really it's a user-facing feature right yeah. you're meant you see your kill death ratio you see how many uh, points you had over time. You see the the moment that you lost that third life, you know, uh, and then you're like, oh, it all turned bad for me there, <laughs> yeah. um, or it was a great comeback. And it's really fun for user story stuff, mm-hmm. um, and that's its main purpose. Sure. But I'm I'm also storing the data for analytics. Oh, okay. Um, but I haven't done any real actual an- analysis of that yet. Okay. Um, but that's that's always been the plan. Yeah. But I haven't. I don't. My, my tools aren't robust enough to be able to analyze that data, frankly. Sure. Well, you can also like with that, you can determine how long players are playing on like a particular stage. Yeah. Maybe like players are playing too long on this one. It takes twenty minutes for them to finish a level where it normally takes ten. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh well, maybe we should do something about this and tweak it before the game comes out or something. Right. And because in Metro Nexus, all the players are equally mecha- equal mechanically. Yeah. And that's an important part of that design. Mm-hmm. I need to look at in my balance issues in case of like, oh, when a player is doing well. Do, do then they become a runaway success? Yeah, um, and that that's a thing I can then tweak a little bit so that all players can get you know nerfed at a point or yeah. whatever. Yeah, or like you're saying, like how because the the matches in Metro Blue Nexus, Cell. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. yes. <laughs> uh, the matches in Metro Nexus are not timed. They they they, they have uh, conditions for completion. So yeah, how long is a match? Uh, two players, three players, four players, and what's the expectation of a player when I I pick up to play the game? 
and I played it with my friend and I love it, but now I have my other friend over and it's the three of us playing, how different is it going to feel? Yeah. And is it going to feel the same, you know? Right, right. Um, and how well am I one-on-one versus, and is that, are those mechanic are those feeling differences beneficial to the game? Do they enrich the experience or do they distract from the core experience? Yeah. Like it's tough to know that stuff. And so that's why I would love to analyze this data, but I have not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you have access to it now. So yes. like you can, you can analyze it when you want, mm-hmm. which is good. Balance can also f- help you find bugs in your game uh like for example in clawbreaker we were noticing that in all the demos we did like the green crab was winning more oh yeah and we figured out that's because there was a like slight difference in the two different sprite sheets that made it so that the hitbox was slightly off on the green crab so it was way harder to hit the arms uh and so i had to go through and like pixel perfectly pixel match each one (laughs) which was difficult because like we didn't like during the jam because it started as a jam game like lizzie just had to draw really quickly like she had like three hours to get these crabs done right so (laughs) she like just drew them however Mm -hmm. and so like they didn't exactly line up and so yeah that was a long long time but now (laughs) now it should be good we hope (laughs) let us know the game is out (laughs) green crab is winning too much maybe you should yeah. Play better? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, There's a, a fun example recently of a, a um, of balance that I did on a multiplayer game. Ah. So I'm, I'm teaching this game design course at Venture Academy here in Minneapolis. This is after school program once a week uh, for a bunch of uh, middle school and high school kids. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, they're all brats and they're really hard on me. But uh, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm explaining the concepts of game design and like, yeah. you know, like, you know, you want to make a weapon more powerful that's going to make you feel better, but then it's going to make the game feel worse. And like, you know, trying to teach them about those sort of ideas and and like the difference between like literal mechanics and, and like the end game feel and stuff like that. The juice. Yeah. And it's getting through to them finally, which is nice because it's taken a little while. Um, But I think I'm getting better at it. And the example I want to talk about is um, I had them do some paper prototyping and I, I just wanted them to come up with a concept for a game. So just come with a concept and like a basic idea of like what the win condition is. Like I can't can't ask too much for someone who's just really introduced this idea. Sure, yeah. And and then then next week we'll come up with some rules for it and play it, and then we'll do some iteration. Yeah. And uh, the idea that stuck with the group was uh, something they called Zombie City. Okay. It's a game they came came up with where there's a zombie in the middle of the board, and then four players that have little like uh, outposts around, and then that was kind of all they had. They're like, and then like you either you go out and you either attack the zombie or you collect things or something, and the zombie has to get you. Yeah. And then maybe there's a second zombie. I don't know. It was a very simple idea, and so the next week we turned it into an actual live game. We played it in the room. Ooh. Where, and so and we we simplified it. We had uh we had two bases of, of human characters and one zombie, and we came up with rules about how many feet how many the, the those carpet squares were tiled. So we had like squares. It was really oh, fantastic. Cool. And so we kept trying to balance it for like, we, we played it like six times and we kept yeah. changing, we changed the rules each time. Sure. And uh, we tried to make it balanced. And then at a certain point, somebody said like, it's like the, the, the humans are too powerful now. I think I, sh- I should be scared of the zombies. And so we came to the like I and I'm 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 sort of easing them in this direction of like sure. how should it feel right I yeah. I made sure it started out wildly in balance so they would have like, somewhere to go with it yeah um but they they recognized very quickly that even though it's a multiplayer game there's the zombie team because once you kill someone they become a zombie too mm-hmm. and the human teams um like the zombies should feel like they win most of the time. Mm. And so it was. It was really fun to have that that discussion. It was really about the balance. Yeah. It was about like, well, the the um the zombie should move slow because zombies move slow. Yeah. Well, in that case, because there's two human teams, the zombie will never be able to catch up with either of them. So we needed to change that. So now they're fast moving zombies. Uh-huh. So it fit the theme. It, 
you know, the t- theme got tweaked so that zombies felt more like a threat. Yeah. Like that they would feel even in a movie with slow moving z- zombies. Yeah. So like it was, a, it was a really fun exercise. Cool. And I, I, I really invite anybody to like, if they're, when they're coming up with their game design, to looking for like balance issues like that to like really start very small about like really really simple things and iterate quickly on a tiny idea because it can it it can be much more revealing than you expect it to like you really think you want to add a lot of like the draft versions of a lot of concepts yeah but you the start the smaller you start the more you can identify what is creating an imbalance yes and what and the levers to pull and the the, the directions to go to to change it yeah I otherwise it can get really way too complicated design unit test <laughs> yeah, yeah basically yeah <laughs> i totally agree with like starting out with a very small idea and building off of that yeah um but i would also argue that like when you're making tweaks to the thing uh, and you you think like this thing is too powerful. I I found success in just like halving or doubling random values to see what changes and what makes it what makes it better or worse. Because uh-huh. you'll get you'll get a much better understanding of how this value will affect your game. Yeah. Um. If you make if you make a drastic change to it instead of like five percent change here. Or 2% oh yeah. No. Change. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You want to you want to overshoot your your target and then pull back. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So yeah. I, I just you know. Try that. <laughs> cool. But it's an important thing. Like you don't make your whole game and then balance it. Yes. Like, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, continually work on balance, but don't leave it till the end. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Speaking of the end. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to transition to our ending story. <laughs> I mean, it was there. Yeah, it was. <laughs> That's our show. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app. And be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or a nice like us. We need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. That's on Apple Podcasts. That's on Spotify. We never really get detailed about this, but I think we should really be hammering home people. Yeah. Review this program. It's how more <laughs> listeners find us. Yes. Uh, it means we can devote more time and give you better content. Maybe so. you can finally access Mark. You know, he's famous now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear directly from you. So follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. And you can email us at contact at nicegames.club. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice host as we'll get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. And so until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. 